Let's pray together this morning. Our Father, we are indeed thankful and grateful for Christ, our sure and steady anchor. We're thankful that our hope is secure in Him and Him alone. And fathers, we come to your word this morning. May we be filled with the full assurance of hope until the end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning you're going to be hearing from the scripture strong words of encouragement. Strong and powerful words of encouragement. And we all need encouragement in life. There's plenty to be discouraged by. As we go through life, we consider even if we just look at the world around us, there's plenty to be discouraged by, or perhaps uh, relationships you have and family or others, uh, perhaps health issues or diagnoses that you've had are discouraging, or even the own sin in your own life can be discouraging to us at times. And we need encouragement. And so the text we're going to be looking at this morning is going to provide strong encouragement that no matter what we do face in this life, you can be filled with the assurance of hope until the end. If you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13 this morning, Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 13, we're going to see three encouraging truths that will bolster our assurance. Now, the book of Hebrews, you can really sum up the book of Hebrews with three words, Jesus is better, or perhaps you've heard it before, Jesus is superior, Helpful way to sum up the book as the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians in the first century. And they indeed needed encouragement, just as we do, that Jesus is better. He's better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron and the priests and the high priests. In fact, he's the great high priest who offered himself as the once-for-all sacrifice and atoned for sin for those who would believe. Jesus is better. We need to be encouraged with this time and time again as we go through life and face discouragement. Well, as you walk through the book of Hebrews, you see that while they're being encouraged about Christ and his greatness and his glory and that he is better, they're also being exhorted and encouraged to persevere, to continue on as they fix their eyes on Jesus. You see, because these first century Christians had faced persecution, they'd faced mockery, they'd encountered strange teachings, false teachings that were starting to lure some away. In fact, some of them were immature in the faith and were a danger of drifting away. And some even were considering going back to their old dead works to try and earn their salvation by their merits, by their doing. They were struggling with the fact that Christ had ascended. He was no longer there. They couldn't see him and they were living by faith. And so they were struggling with that and considering maybe if I go back to these things, I can see these tangible things. I'll feel a little better and more encouraged. And he's saying, no, in all these things, look to Christ. He is better. Hold fast to him. Well, just prior to verse 13 in chapter 6, we see that the writer desires that they would have the full assurance of hope until the end, that they would continue to persevere as they focus their eyes on Christ, our great 
Savior. And that's my desire for us this morning as we consider this text, that even as we face difficult things or discouragement in our life, whatever it may be, that we would be encouraged in the hope of Christ, our matchless Savior, that we would know that we can have the full assurance of hope because that assurance, that hope rests on God and his promises that ultimately find their yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as I mentioned this morning, we're going to see that the writer of Hebrews offers strong and powerful words of encouragement. We're going to see three truths Three encouraging truths to bolster our assurance. Let's go ahead and read the entire passage together before we look at these three encouraging truths. Hebrews 6, beginning in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus, Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So as I mentioned this morning, we'll be seeing three encouraging truths to bolster our assurance. And the first encouraging truth to bolster our assurance is that God's promises are sure. God's promises are sure. Now we have several things to consider this morning as we see God's promises are sure. Uh, There are several ways that the writer of Hebrews brings this strong encouragement. But first, we need to take a little journey to the Old Testament, a journey to the book of Genesis. The writer of Hebrews begins this passage by putting forth Abraham as an example of someone that they should imitate. You see in verse 12 that the writer says, but he wants them to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Well, at the beginning of our passage, he puts forth Abraham as an example of someone to imitate, someone who through faith and patience had inherited the promises of God. Abraham is referenced elsewhere in Hebrews. He's referenced in the New Testament. These first century Christians would have been really well acquainted with Abraham and would have known about Abraham and this story very quickly. They would have understood. He begins our passage in verse 13 and says, for when God made a promise to Abraham. So back in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham and promises him that he will multiply Abraham, that he will make him into a great nation. And that through Abraham and through Abraham's offspring, he will bless all the nations of the earth. 
They would all be blessed through Abraham's offspring. This is the promise that the writer of Hebrews is referencing here in verse 13. And for Abraham, that looked to be an impossibility. It it looked to be something that wouldn't happen. There's no way that could happen, he's thinking. Why? Because Abraham was old or advanced in age. His wife, Sarah, was barren. They had no children. They had no offspring. How could this be that God would promise to multiply Abraham, make him into a great nation, and bless all the nations of the earth through him? It didn't seem possible. Abraham waited and waited and waited. It took 25 years until God faithfully fulfilled the promise he had made to Abraham and Abraham and his wife, Sarah, have a son, Isaac. You see, God keeps his promises and he kept his promise to Abraham. What did Abraham do during those 25 years? How is Abraham an example that we could learn from and see how we might persevere? Well, Abraham believed God. He trusted God. Look at Romans 4, verse 18 and following. It says about Abraham, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. God keeps his promise. Abraham trusted God. He knew that God would be faithful and true to his word. We can trust God, even through uncertain things, right? We can trust God and know that he keeps his promises no matter the hardship, no matter what we may face. Well, God, as we continue in our passage, he makes a promise, he keeps his promise, and God swears an oath. This example of Abraham continues. Abraham trusted God. He continues to trust in God and his perfect and holy promises And God continues to prove himself faithful. So having received the promise, Isaac, the son he waited 25 years for, that seemed impossible, then you may remember how the story goes after that. God then calls Abraham to offer his son, his only son Isaac, as a sacrifice to the Lord. He gives him the son of the promise, and then he says, now I want you to kill him, offer him as a sacrifice. We know that Abraham continued to trust God. He believed that God would be faithful to his promise, even in this request. We read later in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 17 and following, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see, Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. He was obeying and trusting that God would be faithful to his promise and the Lord stops him. And in that way, Abraham figuratively speaking, as it says in Hebrews, receives him back. Abraham patiently, faithfully waited, trusted God that he would be faithful to his promise. And God was faithful 
to his promise. And after that, God reaffirms, he re-ups his promise, if you will, that he's made to Abraham. And that's what we're seeing here in verse 13. If you look with me in our text this morning, he says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. That's the promise. God has made to Abraham. This is taken from Genesis 22. Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And then verse 15, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So God had made his promise to Abraham. He'd kept his promise and he continues to keep and uphold his promise. And then he swears an oath by himself. He swears an oath by himself. It's as though God is saying, I will be true to my promise and I am bound by my own word, my own promise. I'm bound by myself and who I am that I will keep my promise. He says, blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. It's emphasis, I'm going to do what I've said I will do. And it's fascinating to see that God swears an oath after having given his promise. His word, God's word, it's, it's enough. It's more than enough. It's sufficient. It's trustworthy. It's good. It's holy. It's just. It is sure. We consider John 17 where it says, your word is truth. It's God's powerful word. It's the very word by which he created. He spoke and created. It's his very word by which he upholds the universe. Hebrews 1 says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God's word, you see, his promises are enough. We can trust God and his promises. They're more than enough. And yet, here, God condescends to frail human weakness and swears an oath. The writer of Hebrews draws the connection to this oath that God swears with the oaths that humans take. Look at Hebrews 6.16. He says, For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. You see, an oath, it's, it's an appeal to a higher authority to confirm something that's already been said. This is true. I swear I take an oath. Maybe when you were a kid, you used to pinky swear, right? Or cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. You used to say silly things like that. He's saying for people, they swear by something greater than themselves. And you see here, God swears an oath, but there's no one, there's nothing greater that he could swear by. Nothing. There's no one greater. There's nothing higher than God. His promises are sure. He keeps his promises, and so he swears an oath by himself. He condescends to swear an oath. And you see in this oath, God is demonstrating and showing us that we can trust him. We can know that his promises are sure because he keeps his promises. He swears an oath, and he never changes. Verse 17, so... When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Here we see that reason for why God would do this. Why would God swear this oath? It's in an act of condescension, but this is fascinating here. This is where we begin to see how all of this promises and oaths to Abraham and how he kept his promises to Abraham 
relates to us. See, just as God swears and promises this oath to Abraham, he does it so that he could be showing and demonstrating the truth of his promises to the heirs of the promise. You see a lot of legal language here, oathing and swears and confirm, guarantee. When he's showing more convincingly, it's to give proof, to make clear and to convince. God is making it clear and abundantly true and obvious that he is unchanging, that his truth, his promises never change, and we can trust him. He always keeps his promises. His purposes are firm. They are set. They cannot be moved. They will always be upheld. You consider Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God will keep his promises. His word is true. And more specifically in view here are God's saving promises, his saving purpose. We see in Ephesians 1, 11, in Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. You see, God's saving purpose, his saving promises are true and we can trust him. And that's what he's getting at here in Hebrews chapter 6. You see, God made promises to Abraham And God desires to show that these promises are true and he keeps his promises, but he wants not only Abraham, but the heirs of the promise, heirs of his promise of salvation to understand that God is faithful to his word and he is trustworthy and we can trust him. He wants to show more convincingly to us, those who are heirs of the promise, that he is unchangeable in his character and who he is and we can trust him. Because those who are united to Christ by faith, we are heirs of the promise. Galatians 3, verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You see, because the promise God made to Abraham to bless the nations of the earth through his offspring ultimately pointed to Christ who would come as the offspring of Abraham who would live a perfect life, go to the cross where he would atone for sin and be raised for our justification so that by faith and trust in Christ and his finished work, we're heirs to the promise. God wants to make this abundantly clear that his promises are sure and we can trust him because he is faithful and he keeps his promise. He continues in verse 18 of Hebrews 6, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So you see, we have two unchangeable things. There God's promise is number one, which is more than enough. And then God condescends and swears an oath, a second thing, so that we might see and know and trust that God is faithful to his promises. And he wants us to know this so we might have strong encouragement, strong encouragement that this promise is double sure. It's double guaranteed. He guarantees it 
with an oath. This gospel promise to send one who would accomplish redemption is double sure. We can trust God that he will be faithful to his promise because it's tied up in who he is. A God who is holy and just, who never lies, who is unchanging. Oh, we can trust him. So even when all these things come in our life that are discouraging, things that might cause us to doubt or question, we can be filled with the assurance, with confidence, with hope in God and his promises, that he will be faithful, that he will keep his promises. You can trust him for salvation. Just as he kept his promise to Abraham, he will keep his promises to save and give eternal life to those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. A second encouraging truth to bolster our assurance is that we have a sure hope. We have a sure hope. Look at verse 18 again and following. Pick up in the middle of the verse. So that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Begins to encourage us with the truth that we have a sure hope. As we see, we are those who have fled for refuge. We've fled for refuge. We are those who are Lawbreakers is kind of the idea here with fleeing for refuge would be those who have broken the law and are due the judgment and condemnation of the law, the consequences. And they're trying to flee the consequences of the judgment of law and they find refuge from it. Well, we as lawbreakers, those who have been called to love God with heart, soul, mind and strength and to love neighbor as ourself perfectly, perpetually, all the time, we failed. So we need help. We need a savior. We need Christ, the perfect law keeper who came to live perfectly for us, who paid for our sins on the cross. And we flee for refuge from the penalty, the judgment of our sin. We flee for refuge to Christ. And here we see that those who have fled for refuge will have strong encouragement. And that encouragement is to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. The encouragement is to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. What is hope? We, we use that word hope a lot in our daily life, and it's important that we understand what's meant here by hope. A lot of times we say hope, it's kind of wishful thinking, right? Oh, I really hope so. I sure hope so. But here, hope is not a wishful thinking. Hope is... For the Christian, hope is a confidence. It's a certainty. It's a knowing for sure and for certain that this will happen. And we have a hope. We have a certainty that something will happen. What is this hope that is set before us that we can be certain of? It's hope that for those who are trusting in Christ, we will one day see him and be made like him. We think of the promises of God in his word in 1 John 3, 2, that we will see Christ and we will be made like him. How about the promises that every wrong will be made right? Every tear will be wiped away. 
We have a hope set before us and we can be confident and sure as those who have fled for Christ to Christ for refuge. We can have a confident hope, expectation and certainty that these things will happen. A hope that we will one day experience the imperishable inheritance that waits for us. You think of First Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, this hope is tied to the resurrection of Christ who has accomplished redemption for us. And we have this hope because it is sure, because it banks on Christ and not us. Nothing we have done guarantees these things, but it's all of Christ. And so we have this hope that is set before us and he wants us to be encouraged to hold fast to that hope. As life is discouraging and seems to cause you doubt or as there's things that make you think maybe i'll just turn back to earning my salvation of my own no he says look to christ hold fast to that hope jesus is better there is nothing you can find hope in and confidence in besides christ in him alone and god gives us the gift of the holy spirit to guarantee this we read in ephesians 1 verse 13 in him you also When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see, this hope is not just a future thing that we wait for. You see, this hope is something that is real and true now. It's a present reality. He says in our passage here, the end of verse 18, that we would hold fast to the hope that is set before us. And then he says, verse 19, we have this. That's here, that's now. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner place. We have this hope now, already. We think of the reality of our security in Christ, our salvation in Him that we hear of in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, it doesn't say since we will be justified. No, it's here, it is now. We have been justified through Christ. And it says we have peace With God. If you're trusting in Christ alone for salvation, you have now peace with God. Hope through Jesus Christ. He says in Romans 8 1, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus. Yes, we have a hope that is waiting for us, but we have it now. And it is a sure hope because it rests in Christ, not us. And then he continues to describe this hope as an anchor for the soul. In verse 19, he says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Our hope is described as an anchor 
a sure and steadfast anchor. You think of the imagery of an anchor, right? You think of a boat or a ship that's out on the water and the waves and the wind are blowing and they need stability. They need something firm to hold them fast, to keep them in place. So they drop the anchor and the anchor holds them securely, safely in place. I've never been out in the midst of the ocean. Maybe some of you have been on a cruise or a ship way out, maybe deep sea fishing, but I've been a little ways out and that was far enough for me, you know, because sometimes you get out there and the water deep is just kind of, I mean, it wasn't really, I'm kind of a wimp about these things, but it's moving around and you're kind of looking for something for stability, for security, right? The same is true for this example of the ship that needs security. It needs safety. It needs stability. It needs something firm to hold it fast, to make it sure. So they drop the anchor. The sea is that picture and imagery of the world around us. Right? The psalmists use this imagery all the time throughout the Psalms. I think of Psalm 130, where it says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Or Psalm 69, Save me, God, from the waters. They are up to my neck. We often are looking for that stability in the sea, if you will, of life. Looking for something sure, steadfast, firm. What is it that you're using for your anchor in life? Well, here, our anchor, the writer of Hebrews says, our anchor is the hope that is founded in the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, our anchor doesn't go down to the depths of the sea of this world, of this life. Our anchor, no, it goes up to the highest of the heavens. He says in verse 19, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. You see, our anchor is not tied to anything in this world, anything in this life. Our anchor goes up into the throne room of God. It enters behind the curtain. Think of the imagery of the curtain. You had the most holy place or the holy of holies in the temple or the tabernacle where the high priest would go once a year to offer the sacrifice for the sins of the people on behalf of the people. No one went behind that curtain except for that high priest and only once a year. But Jesus Christ, the great high priest, would go behind the curtain, behind the veil, and secure our redemption. And now our hope is anchored behind the veil because the veil is torn in two. We have access. We have a sure hope that is anchored because of Christ and what he has done. Calvin says our hope rises and flies aloft because it finds nothing to stand on in this world. It cannot rely on created things, but finds rest in God alone. We have a sure hope, an anchor for the soul. I've already alluded to it, but this leads us to our third encouraging truth to bolster our assurance, and that is Jesus is our surety. Jesus is our surety. So God is, his promises are sure. He keeps his promises. We have a sure hope. And then finally, Jesus is our surety. Look again at verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf 
having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we notice, as I mentioned a moment ago, that this anchor of hope is in the inner place behind the curtain. And it is there because of Christ, our great high priest. It mentions at the end of verse 20, a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a priest that was a type in the Old Testament. It's talked about multiple times here in, in the following chapters of Hebrews, and we won't get into that now, but it's for now, Christ was the great high priest, the one who would be the ultimate high priest, who would en- enter the Holy of Holies once for all and, o- and offer the once for all sacrifice, and he would be the high priest forever. So that's what it's getting at when it mentions Melchizedek. But Christ is our great high priest who enters into the most holy place. In Hebrews 9, it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal Redemption, Because Christ, you see, has offered that once for all sacrifice in the Holy of Holies for us. He's opened a way that we can have access to God, that we can boldly approach his throne with confidence. Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus is our surety. Jesus is the guarantee of our salvation because of what he has done for us. We have no hope apart from Christ because he has accomplished our salvation. He has shed his blood on the cross to be the once for all sacrifice that would propitiate and satisfy the wrath of God for sins. And so that by faith and trust in him, what he has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection, we have access to God that we can have confidence, that we can have hope, that we can have the full assurance of hope so that when discouragement comes or trials or suffering in our life, we can look to Christ who is ascended, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who is our hope, and know that we have assurance because of him. He is our hope. First Timothy 1 calls him our hope. So this anchor, this hope, this confidence, it's Christ. It's him. It's what he has done. He has secured salvation for us. We think of Ephesians 2 where it says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. This hope is ours and it's because of Christ who is a guarantee and surety of our salvation Writer of Hebrews continues with another picture or image and example in verse 20. When it's talking about Christ who has gone to the inner place behind the curtain, it says in verse 20, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Christ is a forerunner. The imagery here is that of, of athletic or military imagery. 
It's not about speed. It's not about getting there first or being in first place. While Christ did go before us, he goes before us, not as someone who just leaves us and abandons us. The forerunner would be sent ahead, knowing that there are more to follow, more still coming behind. And Christ, as our great high priest, is a forerunner who has gone ahead before us, securing, preparing the way for us. Think of his words, Jesus' words in John chapter 14, where he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. See, Christ is our forerunner. He's gone ahead of us, knowing that he will bring us to himself because he has made a way through his life, death, and resurrection where he has torn the curtain, the veil is torn in two, and we have a sure hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul in Christ. He is the sure and steady anchor. The promised salvation has been secured through the high priestly ministry of Jesus. And it is sure because it stands firmly on God and his promises. You see, because we can trust God. We can trust his promises and know that he will be faithful. He's proved himself faithful to keep his promises time and time again. He gives us the example of Abraham that we might trust God knowing that he will accomplish what he has said he will do. And we have hope because God is faithful to his promises and our hope is secure because it's secure in Christ and in Christ alone, the sure and steady anchor for our soul. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for Christ, our great high priest, the one who has secured redemption and salvation for us. We're so thankful that we have an anchor of hope for our souls and it is anchored in Christ, his person and his work, who he is and what he has done for us. We're thankful that he is the perfect law keeper, Jesus, the righteous, who has gone ahead before us, where he intercedes on our behalf, where he is our mediator. Lord, help us to find hope in this life, whatever it may be that discourages us, whatever it may be that causes us to not want to persevere, to endure. Lord, may we look to Christ. May be be encouraged. May our assurance be bolstered and strengthened because of Christ and what he has done. And may we be filled with a full assurance of hope until the very end so that you might receive all glory and honor and praise. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You are dismissed. May you be filled with the full assurance of hope in Christ as you go.